Hey, good morning, Life Church. I am so grateful to be with you today. And we're in a series that I'm really excited about called The Flourishing Life. And uh, today we're talking about the wilderness season. And before you turn off, you just need to know this is one of those messages. This is one of those texts that we're going to look at in Scripture that is essential for you to have a fruitful life. Because if we look at the story of Israel, if we look at our own story and we go from Egypt, which is a place of slavery and bondage um, and endings, and we want to go to the promised land, which is the flourishing life, which is this life where we're um, resonating, we're becoming the people God created us to be, and we have a sense of wholeness and shalom. There is no path from Egypt to the promised land that does not lead through the wilderness. And the wilderness is the defining moment. It is the critical aspect of understanding and the place where God wants to meet us and transform us. But none of us want to be in the wilderness. The wilderness represents a times of unexpected and unwelcome trials and challenges in our life. It's a time of transition that we find ourselves in. It's the place between what was and what will be. It represents uncertainty. And we can find ourselves in the wilderness at various times throughout our life. In fact, we will. For example, I think of um, uh, uh, a woman who's a, a friend, Shelly, and Shelly was 62 years old. Her and her husband were planning and looking forward to retirement and going to places they had always dreamed of. Her husband went in for a checkup and they had a couple of questions. There was concern soon after he was diagnosed with stage four cancer and he passed away within the year. Shelley was just shoved headlong into a wilderness. Or consider Mark. Uh, Mark is um, uh, a smart guy. He's been working for a company for 10 years and the company's not doing well. He works in a very specialized field. And as he's coming into work, they ask him to uh, stop in at HR, the human resources department, and they tell him the company's downsizing and his services will no longer be needed. As he leaves the building that day, he wonders what he's going to tell his wife and his kids because the, his field of specialization has no jobs that demand his skills on this side of the country. He's just been unexpectedly uh, launched into the wilderness. Or Bridget. Uh, Bridget and her boyfriend have been dating for several years. Uh, she's 29. They're going out to dinner tonight, and she has been expecting him to propose. She can tell he's nervous, and when he speaks she's completely taken aback because instead of proposing he says he thinks they should take some time off and maybe see some other people and Bridget finds herself in the wilderness the wilderness is something that every single one of us is either in right now coming out of or at some point soon we may be entering into and what makes the wilderness so difficult is we don't see it coming most of the time. We don't know it's coming. It catches us unawares and in an unexpected manner. I myself am no stranger to the wilderness and have been there multiple times in my life. 
I can remember in the summer before my sixth grade year, my father told us that we would be moving to another state, uh, Michigan. And, um, uh, and I had all my friends and all of our cousins and family lived in, in New York and we were moving to Michigan. And, uh, um, and so we had a going away party with all of our cousins uh, that early that fall. And I remember still to this day the sound uh, as my cousins and I were playing baseball and my cousin hit the ball. And I can remember the sound of that ball hitting my brother full speed in the side of the head and watching him drop to the ground. He was immediately rushed to the hospital and he would spend the next 15 months hospitalized. Meanwhile, my father had to go to Detroit, and so my sister and I moved with my dad, who was working crazy hours, and basically moved to a school we never, we didn't know, with people we didn't know. Uh, my mom and my brother were left in New York, and uh, we entered into a very dark season. My family experienced a lot of pain, alcohol abuse, and depression in various forms over the next couple years in that season of wilderness. So I have been there. You have your own wilderness story. You have probably been there too. And when we think about this, we have to ask, what is God doing in the wilderness? What, what is he doing during these seasons? And what is he trying to build into our lives? How is it, what, what's he doing to build faith and trust in these tr transitions where it seems like we are in a dark place all on our own? We're going to be looking at that today, and we're going to actually come down to a fine point because the wilderness journey of Israel takes place throughout the, the um, Exodus and Numbers particularly. We'll just focus there. But in Numbers chapter 11, it's, there's this beautiful uh, kind of uh, coalescing of all of some of the core elements that the, the uh, Israelites faced in the, uh, in the wilderness. And again... God has freed them from slavery in Egypt, and he is leading them through the desert, through the wilderness, to a, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And that part of that, what that means is this place where they would experience God's flourishing and God's provision. But let me clarify this again. There is no path out of Egypt and into the promised land that does not lead through the wilderness. And God meets his people there. Now, this escape from Egypt for the uh, Israelites is beautiful and it's difficult. They, they leave behind slavery and oppression, but they also leave behind homes and routines and gardens and provision. And they take some things with them, but only what they can carry. It's important for us to understand they're embracing a new freedom, but they have also been radically downsized. And they're experiencing loss and, and grief, even in the midst of freedom. And it's a strange mix. Uh, and so living in the desert for years, two years at this point that, that we're going to pick up in the story, you have to wonder, how did they survive? What did they eat? Well, they ate manna. <laughs> manna. And whenever I think of manna, I think of cornflakes, okay? Something like that or, you know, communion wafers, but whatever. It's like cornflakes, right? And they have food. They're grateful. They eat it every single day. Morning, noon, and night, they're eating manna, manna, manna. And so in Numbers 11.4, this comes to a head. Look at what it says. It says, The rabble with them began to crave other food, 
And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Have you ever gone through a season of life when you had to eat the same food over and over again? I can remember my junior year of college uh, trying to save money and get by, and I bought these huge tubs of peanut butter, and you could just put a spoon in peanut butter. You had all kinds of good things, protein and everything else, and I ate peanut butter so much that year that I eventually couldn't stand the smell of it anymore, right? I, in fact, for probably over 10 years, I just have recently started eating peanut butter again in my life. But for years, I never ate it because to me, it always, uh, I couldn't stand the smell anymore. And, uh, and the Israelites had a little bit of this going on with manna. And, uh, and, and we, we need to understand something. When we read passages like this, they're meant to be teach us a lesson or be instructive. But we need to be careful not to look down on the people we're reading about. We need to instead empathize with them and go, how would I be in that situation? Because if we're looking down on them, chances are we're not seeing the problem or ourselves accurately. And so they're struggling in the desert and they're, they're eating manna and they're wondering, where are we going? When are we going to get to the promised land? And, um, and you have to wonder as they're out there in the desert, does the desert produce anything good? And actually... What God's word teaches us is, yes, the wilderness is fertile ground. And the first thing it's fertile ground for is complaining or complaint. And we hear this, right? We hear them, them crying out, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this. And maybe for you, you're sick of stuff right now. You, you feel like you've got every right in the world to complain. I'm sick of worrying about my depressed teenager. I'm sick of worrying about bills. I just you keep piling up and I can't seem to pay. Inflation's going up. I'm sick of caring for my aging parents and feeling overwhelmed by that. And I feel guilty that I feel sick of it, uh, someone told me. I, I'm sick of living in my in-law's basement. What are you sick of? Whenever we find ourselves in the wilderness, this is really important, our souls are in danger. They're in danger. Because the worst part of what's going on here is they're not just complaining about the food. They're complaining about God. That God is not taking care of them. That God is not providing for them. That God isn't doing, uh, isn't good enough to give them the things that they think they really, really need. And later on in scripture, Moses is going to say this. He isn't going to say you rejected the manna or you rejected the freedom. They're going to, he's going to say, you have rejected the Lord. Because it's like they're saying when they say this, we were better off with God. We were better off as slaves. We were better off under the tyranny of oppression. And that's a slap in the face of God. And so this is really important. Our heart and our faith are in danger in the wilderness when we pass through the wilderness, if we're not careful. Now, it's helpful to note that Moses, their fearless leader, he's not much better. And we often paint him to be this great guy, and he is, because he's gone through multiple wildernesses. Prior to this wilderness, he had multiple experiences that were very difficult in his life. But here's, he's their rock. He's their leader. And this rock is about to crack. Look at what Moses says. 
And, you know, just before, as you listen to this, I want you to think, it might surprise you because he's so brutally honest. And he gives us a model for how to come to God and pray as well. He asks the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant, me? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised, the promised land, on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, complaining to me, grumbling to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. This burden is too heavy for me. And we're back to what is the desert, what is the wilderness fertile ground for? It's fertile ground for giving up. Moses is having, uh, on the verge of giving up. He's, kinda ha- he's having a breakdown here. And I, again, giving up may be too weak of a word, but look at what he says here uh, in verse 15. Again, read Numbers 11. The whole story's there. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. Basically, Moses has said, I've had it. I give up. I I can't handle this. Hey, if you like me, if I have favor in your eyes, just kill me. (laughs) He's depressed. He's overwhelmed. He's struggling hard. He says something really significant in the passage right before this. This is too heavy for me. Are you feeling like you have some stuff in your life right now that's too heavy for you? You are not alone. You are not alone. Have you ever said, this is too heavy for me? This is too heavy. I can't carry this angry, defiant teenager anymore. I don't know what to do. I'm at my wit's end. It's too heavy for me. Uh, This is too heavy for me. I, I, I can't carry this bullying I'm receiving in school and I haven't told my parents about it. Tell them, by the way. I, this is too heavy for me. I've got a pile of bills I can't pay. This is too heavy for me. I can't carry anymore this sick relative that I'm trying to care for. And I just feel like I have nothing left to give as a caregiver. I, I, I can't carry it anymore. I can't carry this critical boss and this job I can't stand. And I have to just stop. And I want you to stop right now because think about what Moses said here. Think about what you're feeling here. And the question I want to ask is, how is God going to respond to his servant here? How do you hope he responds? Because it's not just about Moses. It's about you and me, isn't it? How does God respond to us when we're over the top and and we're angry and we're overwhelmed? And how's he going to meet us in our wilderness? How do you hope God's going to respond? And here's something. Are you Is he going to respond with anger or compassion? Is he going to respond with criticism or with help? And as Moses is giving up and breaking down, look at what God says to him. Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and I will put it on them also. They will share the burden 
of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. God shows up and provides for Moses in this amazing way. As Moses cries out to God, he shares his burden, he shares his complaint, and God meets him in that place and provides for him. He, he provides physical help. So now there's 70 leaders that are being empowered and deployed. God's saying, Moses, I never expected you to do it all on your own. And now I'm going to help you see and receive the help I have for you. He gives them physical help, but he also gives them spiritual help because they have this spiritual anointing as well. And they're now going to be um, community for Moses because none of us are meant to walk alone. If you're walking alone, it's by choice, not by God's choice, but by your choice. And God helps him see and, and, and embrace the community of support around him. They're going to share your burden because guess what? It is too heavy for you. In fact, Paul will tell us in Galatians that we're not meant to carry our burden alone, but we're meant to share that burden and carry one another's burdens together. We're meant to do this as a community. And, um, and we don't have to carry it alone anymore. See, friends, the wilderness is not just fertile ground for complaining or giving up. It's also the fertile ground where we can experience God's grace and God's provisions. And that's what happens here. God provides and God loves to provide. You need to know that. He's not a stingy God. He's a generous God. He's a God who loves and cares and provides for his people. And he still loves to give and give and give and provide for his people. So like Moses, what if you find yourself in a time of depression and you're down and you're overwhelmed and you don't know how you got there. You don't know how you're going to get out, but you're crying out to God. God, and have you cried out to God? Because God will either lift you out of that depression or he'll give you the strength and carry you and walk with you through it to the other side. And it may come through a friend. It may come through prayer. It may come because God's surrounding you through other people who are sharing the burden. It may come through the spiritual ministry of those around you who maybe are going to share some love or prayer or, or, you, or God may give you a scripture or a message, but he will meet you in that place. Or maybe <clears throat> as Moses is struggling with how am I going to provide all this meat? You're thinking about how am I going to provide the, and I, with finances or other things? And God, I don't know how I'm going to meet this need that's being uh, asked of me, this, this kind of debt that I'm being asked to pay, or that people want me to give them meat. And, um, and he's going to either provide you with that resource or he's going to give you the contentment to get through that time. One of the beautiful things the Apostle Paul writes is in prison, and he wrote that he's learned this secret about this abiding in Jesus that allows him to be content in every and in, in any and every situation. He says, I can do all things. Now, he doesn't mean all things in terms of like, I can go fly and jump off a mountain. He means all things like I can be all that God meant for me to be. I can fulfill uh, his call on my life as he gives me strength. God's going God's to gonna help me be content in the midst of maybe some deprivation. And he says this verse that we all love to quote while he's in prison with no hope of getting out. And when Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them to pray, he shared again a prayer we call the Lord's Prayer. And part of that prayer says, give us today our daily bread. God, pray that right now. God, 
I have, a, I have a need right now. Lord, give us what we need to get through our day. But what about, so let's keep reading. What about the other half of Moses' problem? Every, the people are screaming at him. They want some meat. And, and uh, they're getting kind of crazed. They're, you know, they're becoming a mob. And he's, God says, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now that's a slap in the face of God because they cried out that God would free them. And now they're free. And they're saying, we'd rather go back to jail and be whipped and beaten and misused. You know, so don't miss this, right? This is a real, uh, they're saying things here that are just uh, insulting and critical and uh, ungrateful. So now the Lord will give you, so he says, now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five or 10 or 20, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils. I don't know if you've ever eaten anything that would come out of your nostrils. You know, I often think of my kids and them laughing when they're drinking something and it shoots out their noses. I don't know, but uh, purple, you know, grape soda, whatever it is. But I, I just think of meat coming out your nostrils. Like just, that's a word picture right there. <laughs> until it comes out your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and you have complained before him. You have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Now, again, for you to feel that, you need to read the first part of Exodus because they're just, they've been hundreds of years crying out to God. So again, the fact that they want to go back is just, uh, uh, just dumbfounding. The Lord, Moses responds back to the Lord. This is what Moses says. Here I am among 600,000 men on foot. So that's not counting everybody else and families. And you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? Which again, Moses saying, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how you expect me to show up and do this. And the Lord answered Moses, and this is really important because this is kind of brings us to the fine point of what happens, what God is leading his people toward in the wilderness. Is the Lord's arm too short? And what that means is, is your God inadequate to do what he says he will do? It, can you trust your God to accomplish what he has said he will accomplish. Can you have faith that your God will provide what he promises to provide? Is his arm too short or not? Is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. And then we see the rest of the story. God provides this abundance of quail and they're eating and they're partying and all this stuff. And, but God didn't only provide the meat. We're told that God sent a plague, a sickness, and people died. People died. And it's easy for us to talk about God's love and God's goodness, and that's all true. But God also is disciplining his people here. 
And Alex talked about this last week. Discipline is training us for our good, training us so that God will accomplish and help us to become the people he wants us to become. And I've had people who say, well, was that a literal plague or what does that mean? And, it, and people get caught up in it. But let me just say this when, because, uh, you know, that's fine to ask questions of scripture. And I think that's legitimate and you good and you do your exploration. How many of you complain? Thank you for that right there, number one. Okay, and um, how many, here, just do one of these, all right? How many of you live with someone who complains a lot? So let me just tell you this, right? So imagine you're sitting at, at the table, you just cooked dinner for your spouse or, or your parent, or, and they're like, oh, why do we have macaroni and cheese again? Oh, these noodles are too hard. Oh, this is too hot. Oh, I thought you were going to give me something to drink beside water. Where's my soda? How come you didn't go to the store and get my soda? When am I going to have my candy? Whatever. I want more of this. I want less that. You're a da You know what? I want you to understand something. There is, a, there is a virus, a disease that gets unleashed in a house of complaining. Nobody wants to live with a complainer. Every, and if you do, you dread it. You hate it. They're critical. They're complaining. To understand this, you unleash a sickness in your soul and in your community when you live a life of complaint. Nobody likes it. So whether you're going, ah, oh, well, it was literally, I, yeah, I think people literally died. And the point was, guess what? This is so serious. When you live like this, you are, you are unleashing a disease that will lead to death in your life if you don't deal with this ungrateful, complaining heart that doesn't trust the Lord and is absolutely self-centered and self-absorbed. We've all been around that narcissist, that whiny, unhappy person. And the whole point is we go from bad, bad to worse. So sometimes God allows pain in our life in this moment to keep us from catastrophic and eternal pain in the rest of our lives. It's part of what discipline and training do. So what's going on here as they're going? This is really important. They're going from Egypt to the promised land. They're in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, they're, being tr they're learning to trust and they're learning to train. Because the wilderness is fertile ground for transformational growth. And God is wanting to grow his people because this is really important. We think of them when they were in Egypt as God's people. They weren't. They were an unruly group of people who were under slavery, who were told what to do. They were being raised in the Egyptian idolatry of the day. They did not know the Lord. They did not have the word of God. And God is going to, this is the beauty and goodness of God. He's going to take them from slavery and, 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 and uh, childishness and immaturity and, and um, destructive and, and, and dysfunctional character. He's going to transform them into his sons and daughters, to his image bearers, that they would be in his image and his likeness, and they would be gracious people, loving people that would trust God and treat one another with love, grace, respect, and honor. So that they could be the light to the world that God was shaping them to be. You see, they don't, you don't just move somewhere else and you become a new person, right? You're transformed. This is a journey of transformation. 
And in the wilderness, if you are, if, if as they're open to God's in, intervention and leading and, and uh, training, they grow and they become the people of God, the sons and daughters of God. He's trying to grow trust in them here, and he's trying to grow trust in us too in the wilderness. He's trying to teach us to trust in him, to lean on him and to follow him, knowing that he's transforming us. He's going to pour out his grace on us and we're going to be gracious. He's going to pour out his love on us and we're going to become loving. He's going to pour out his compassion on us and we're going to become compassionate. He's going to stay faithful and even when we're not, and he's going to teach us how to be faithful, persevering people. Aren't those the kind of people we want to be around? Aren't those the people we, we want to interact with? Aren't those the people we want to go join the, on the journey? So they left Egypt, this scraggly band, and they're, and they're being transformed into a mature group of God followers. That's the goal here. So they can honestly represent the invisible God, the good God, the true God of the world to the world. But they needed to be transformed. And the wilderness is the furnace of transformation. So here in the wilderness, God is constantly asking, will you trust me? When you're hungry, will you trust me? When you've lost resources and, uh, or, or um, uh, jobs or business, will you trust me? When you're thirsty, will you trust me? When you're sick, will you trust me? The wilderness is the best soil to grow faith. But listen to me. It's also the place where faith goes to die. If we do not watch our hearts, the wilderness will, uh, and we, uh, we only have two options in the wilderness. Our faith grows and we trust God or our faith dies. You know, there's a saying, time heals all wounds. That's a lie. Because I know a lot of people, and you do too, and they got old and they got hurt or some bad things happened in their life and they just grew bitter or an angry and poisonous, right? Toxic in their attitudes. And in that hard, hard space of the wilderness, we have a choice because our heart is in danger. We can either grow from this or it can become a place where our faith dies. And I, we've seen that even in the pandemic and all the challenges of the last season. Some people's faith has flourished as they've trusted God in these hard times and other people have walked away. So in these tough, tough times, complaining can flourish, right? Complaining can be the thing that grows and it makes itself at home in our lives and in our relationships and it keeps coming back. And, and here's the truth. This is a truth of physics and nature is that good, uh, the presence of something good can push out the presence of something bad, that we can displace this. And so what if we were to uh, displace complaining in our life with gratitude and trust. Gratitude and trust. And let me just say this. To trust God is not to lie. So to say to God, God, I trust you. I hate this place. I don't like what I'm going through, but I'm going to trust you, God. I trust you. I wish we had different food, uh, but I'm so grateful you provided for me what I have. And trust will overcome complaint. And gratitude is not some Pollyannish fakeness. Gratitude is, hey, Lord, I hate this place. I wish I had something different to eat, but I'm going to trust you. And I do want to say thank you, Lord. You took us out of slavery. And I can recall being whipped 
and watching my family hurt. You, Lord, you took us out of oppression and tyranny and you've allowed us now to grow in faith with you. And I'm grateful for that. Lord, you took us out of being isolated and alone and you put us together in your community. You, Lord, you took us from a place where we didn't know the truth and you gave us your word and your law and now we're learning to follow that. I'm grateful for that, Lord. I don't like this, but I'm grateful. So as we close, I just want to ask a couple questions here. What is the wilderness for you right now? And as you think about that, what kinds of anxieties have you experienced in your life because of these different trials and challenges? Where are you seeing anxiety rise up? And what steps can you and I take right now to um, allow God to provide for us in the wilderness? God wants to meet you and provide for you, maybe in ways you didn't anticipate. And how can you and I draw closer to God so that complaining is pushed out and trust is growing, where we're putting our faith in God and we're growing in our faith and we're growing in our gratitude in real, honest, and legitimate ways. Because with all this being said, the desert we most despise can become the transformed life we most desire. And that's God's goal for us. But we have to put our trust in Him. So I want to pray. I want to pray for you right now. And I want to invite you to put your trust in the Lord, this, this God who loves you. Maybe you're listening today and you're like, I'm going through all these hard times, but I don't have faith. I haven't put my trust in God. And, and I want you to know God wants to meet you right here. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the one who will walk with you and I through this wilderness. And he'll cleanse us of the sin in our lives, the complaining and, and uh, the, the, the selfishness and all the dysfunction. And he'll help us be transformed into the people he created us to be. And you can begin that journey right now with him. I want to invite you to pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love and your goodness toward me. And I just want to confess I'm in a hard place and I don't like it here. But Lord, I don't want this pain to be wasted. I don't want these trials to be turned to dust. I want these trials to be turned into gold and produce something good in my life. And so I'm asking you, Jesus, to forgive me for my sins. I just confess, I know I have a complaining heart. I know I have a selfish heart. And uh, Lord, uh, I'm asking you to provide for me. I'm asking you to come into my life and cleanse me. Thank you that you are good. And I'm praying for your undeserved favor, your grace, Lord, to be poured out on me. And I'm asking you, Lord, to help me to be the person you created me to be. And Lord, open my eyes to see that there's a community of people around me. You don't want me to carry these burdens that are too heavy for me alone. You want me to share that and walk with others as we carry one another's burdens. And Lord, I pray most of all that you'd help me to trust in you and you'd help me to push out complaining. And remember, there are real things for me to be grateful for every day. Thank you, Lord, that I can be honest with you as I pray and tell you what I really feel and think. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, I want to trust you and I want to put my faith in you and know that you are leading me toward a good place, toward your promised land, toward a life that looks more like Jesus, a transformed life, a flourishing life in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you prayed with me, uh, I want to invite you to message us and we want to help you take your next steps with Jesus. And there's a group of people that are here that want to help you do that. Please just message us and let us know you committed your life to Christ, maybe recommitted your life to Christ, 
and uh, let us join you in your journey. God bless.